0: You are listening to Innovators Can Laugh with Eric Melcher, where I dive into the interesting and fascinating stories of innovators and startup founders from Europe. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Mantas Vasquela, CEO of iSpeco, which is an innovative mapping technology provider whose products can be used in aerial, mobile, or stationary modes and combines LIDAR and hyperspectral capability. Mantas, welcome to the show. Hi, nice to meet you here. How are you Thanks doing? For
1: inviting me. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Okay. Okay. So, you know, i like to get started with just a few fun, interesting questions. So the audience can kind of get to know more about you and your personality. The first question is, does pineapple belong on pizza?
1: Well, it's a very, very serious question. And I do think we need to do a study first. But actually, I'm going to say yes to all the haters. Uh, Yes, it does belong (laughs) on a pizza. I've recently had a pizza with pistachio cream. And it was much weirder, but also quite nice. So, well, come on. You can put whatever you want on a pizza. Pineapple (laughs) is absolutely there. I used to love Hawaii when I was a kid. So, yeah.
0: Where did you have pizza with pistachio cream? Where
1: did you get this? Oh. Yeah, so there's a weird pizza place here called Orad Napoli and uh, they have like a classic pizza menu and innovative, wow. we call it innovative pizza menu. And there you have like, uh, we call it the stuffed crust or we uh, actually made like, like a pizza, like a plate and that crust part is uh, stuffed with weird things. And part of that was pistachio cream. It was so strange to be fair. I'm not a fan of innovative pizza myself, but yeah, whatever that whatever yeah. makes people happy. Yeah, so yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. For the listeners, you're not in Vilnius right now. You're actually somewhere a little bit warmer. <laughs> Where is that, Montes?
1: Yeah, I'm mean, can in Canary Islands. I escaped winter. with Vilnius is currently minus ten and lots of snow. And since my clients are here, in Spain is our biggest client, we bought my, my wife let's at the winter somewhere else. So I'm here until February. If you want to share a beer, let me know.
0: <laughs> That's amazing. I need to escape uh, Romania winter, and uh, maybe I head over there to the Canary Islands and just kind of let you know, hey, let's go get some sp- let's go get some pistachio pizza. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, let's do that.
0: Okay, tell me about. An unusual object that can be found inside your house. An unusual object, Montez.
1: Okay, so inside my house, I have a, uh, like, you know, a hook you can drill into your ceiling for a boxing uh, yep. ball, ball or something. So I have that. Yeah. It's then been used according to purpose. We, me and my friends, we call it a travel hook. And when I was still a teenager, we had a house party. And one of my friends is living to Australia for a few months. So, in the last moment when he was saying bye to everyone, we said, okay, he has to take something to Australia for us. And we gave him that hook because my brother wanted to plant it somewhere, but I gave him that hook. And from that moment, that hook has actually visited all continents uh, except for Antarctica. It has been to most places in the world. It has traveled to places like Mongolia or Kazakhstan (laughs) or Turkmenistan or both Koreas, actually, and so on. So uh it's a really weird travel book so it's now with me here and uh yeah that's probably most difficult it's one to explain
0: how many people have traveled with that hook i mean how many people are passing this thing three, around
1: Free. it's uh three of best friends you are just passing around each other whenever someone's traveling somewhere far uh, we give it to them. Uh-huh.
0: have you thought about engraving your initials or names on it
1: <laughs> nah, it's a stupid hook. It's just fun. <laughs> no need to make it memorable. It's just a hook.
0: <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, one more question here. What is a TV show that you can watch again and again?
1: Uh, I love Chernobyl. That's a recent one I have watched twice, I think, or three times. I really like Lost. Right. Uh, I can watch Lost a lot uh i sometimes can't tune into friends if my wife is watching them because it's just a tv show it's kind of warm like you know like a winter feeling the night near the fireplace or so on so that's that kind of tv show Um uh, yeah. so yeah this would be probably the answer quickly i probably can't watch more because i really like tv shows but uh, i really hate that game of thrones ending ruined it for me so now i do not want to rewatch watch it anymore I watched it twice until <laughs> the season 8 came out, and after it came out, I don't want to watch it anymore.
0: <laughs> I don't know why so many people hate the finale. I mean, how else could have it have ended? I, I don't understand, you know, why people are really upset about it. I mean, I thought it was a pretty pretty good ending. I thought it was practical. What else could have... What, what would have made an awesome ending for you?
1: Ah, I don't know. First of all, why, people, why I hate it is because there are so many storylines which lead nowhere. Uh, like Arya has learned to change her faces and that just didn't really appear anywhere or so on but I feel the biggest problem in season 8 is they tried to make it way too fast so there's way too many things going on and it becomes kind of like the suits or other TV shows where they come into a room and say okay someone has a problem oh yeah let's do that and they just walk out of the room people don't talk like that and things don't happen that way and uh, Game of Thrones was nice because it was slow. And in season seven and season eight, you can really feel them trying to pick up the play- pace to just wrap it all up. And I understand, like, the main reason for that was because the directors, they wanted to do a different thing. So they wanted to move yeah. on, which is fair enough from them as people. But for a show, it probably wasn't the best decision. Should have remained slow because, as far as I remember, initial thought was to do 10 seasons of 10 episodes each. So that would probably have wrapped up things nicer. In fact, the ending itself, the plot is not going to be that bad. It's just the way you get, like, everything is so fast. So we burn the city, and then we kill main characters, and then we go on, and then there's a democracy suddenly. Uh, And that happens, like, in 60 minutes. And that was, like, 10 years in the making. That's annoying.
0: Yeah. No, no, I see your point. I see your point. Okay. Um, Some recent news here. Vilnis was recently recognized for innovation. I think it ranked third at the European Capital of Innovation Awards for 2021. When it comes to innovation, can you tell us about your journey when it comes to being creative, trying to create breakthroughs, entrepreneurship and innovation? Have you always had this curiosity about things or was this something that your parents tried to cultivate in you
1: growing up? It's always very difficult to reflect upon yourself what made you the way you are. It's probably, I don't know, I was kind of the guy who was always on the opposition. I feel that's maybe something which I should get therapy for at some moment in my life, but I like <laughs> doing the things differently than people around me. So if all of my friends are doing one thing, I, will, I have to watch another. If everybody's watching basketball, I have to be a Formula One guy. If everybody's I don't know playing table tennis, I have to go to play normal tennis or something like that. I I'm just made that way. I don't like doing what people around me do. And then I got into a very stubborn industry of energy. And in that industry I would like people are doing things the way we did things for twenty years and no one's questioning anything. And I guess that combined with my nature pushed me into Um, So, okay, so why don't we do more innovation? Why don't we start changing things? And then, apparently, the management really liked that. So I got appointed as head of innovation. Then I started dealing more and more with innovative people. And then I realized the potential for deep tech. Because I, the second thing, I hate, uh, how to say, artificial things. Uh, When I was studying economics, everybody thought I'm going to be a banker. And I said, well, I cannot do that way because I I must be able to touch the result of my work. If it's a new substation, that's a good thing for me. I can go there. I can see it kind of brings me joy. But if it's something like monetary, financial, and it's just a bearing of Excel sheets, well, that's right. not my style. I can't really be happy about that. So I wanted to get into industries which are like tactical and, and infrastructure seemed to be in that way. And then, of course, when you start changing, when things actually start working, you realize the potential and when you move on. So it kind of defines you. I guess it's probably just the combination of where I was, uh, a little bit of my nature and the abilities I was given because I was a little bit at the right time in the right place. I entered a company during a big restructuring. And then restructuring is always a huge opportunity to create new departments. Those new departments need new heads and those new heads get power quickly. So you can change a lot of things because everybody's already changing a lot of things, and then you get to play around with your work much faster. So that kind of fast-tracked me into innovation. Yeah, no, which is is
0: probably a rubbish answer. In terms of, uh, no, 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 it's good. Good answer. (laughs) No. When, when, when you were back in the energy industry and you were talking about you realized the potential for deep tech and you started hitting the innovation department, was there a certain moment when you realized the potential for aerial and mapping technology? Yeah,
1: was there like there one was.
0: clear instance when you saw it? Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, So it's a very clear moment. I was uh, appointed uh, to a working group where we were trying to develop a new asset uh, replacement strategy. So basically, asset replacement strategies, but way very fancy words were saying, you know that old rusty pole which has power lines on Well, it needs to be fixed or replaced at some moment in time. How do you determine when do we actually knock it down? So um, I was sitting in that work group and the guys, I, I just asked the question, first question. So, okay, how do we do this now? And the people start explaining to me, and of course, a lot of fancy terminology, but after rather just simply what what they were trying to say was very simple. is every 50 years we replace things. And sometimes it's 40 years and sometimes it's 60 years, but it's still every year. And I said, well, do we have to actually replace things every 60 years? And we have electricians like, no, nah, things are normally good every 60 years. They hold up. Most of them hold up, but some of them don't. So we replace everything every 60 years. And it was just like, well, there has to be a better way. Like, and my question was, then, do we actually know the condition of the things And people learn? No, we don't really track that. I was like, OK, so if we don't track that. Uh, well, how, how can we track that? And there was apparently there are people walking and there's a defect process. And uh, then I started thinking about that I really wanted to buy a drone at that moment. So I thought, okay, well, maybe drones could be used for that. So that's how the mapping started in my head. The company started moving slowly towards that direction. And they're actually really good at what we do now. But for myself, it was a point that I started looking, okay, so can somebody do this as a service for us? Because I really don't want to train drone pilots inside an energy company. And there were no companies, so I started trying to build companies. And I started calling companies which have drones and said, could you do this as a service? And most of them wanted to sell me drones. So I thought, well, if people want to sell drones and the other guys want to buy services, well, there needs to be a place for service companies. So that's how I started the first company. Uh, And then from that, we moved on to helicopter technology because we couldn't get permits everywhere. Drones were not reliable enough at some moments when we went back to drones, back to helicopters, some vehicles and so on. And that's how we came up as a service company. Now, in 2020, what happened is the travel industry closed us up. So we couldn't travel anymore, anywhere. And what we did then is simply we thought that, okay, this is a good time to actually shift the business model. And instead of selling services, uh, let's take a look if we built any tech while making those services ourselves. And we saw that the faults we make for helicopters are actually quite advanced. All of the investors kept telling us that's probably the most valuable part of the business. So we decided that we have to continue on that way. So the founders, we created a new venture, which specifically sells that tech. And that's back going out. So that's short, my journey in short. <laughs> that is so awesome. How many customers do you guys currently have right now? Uh, I would need to recall, I think, about 10 or 15, uh, somewhere in that number. It depends on what's a customer, because some customers buy uh, rent systems from us. Others, uh, other customers, we only did demos so far, and some customers have multiple systems from us, which we apply in Chile, in Spain, in U.S., in Canada, in U.K., or so on, so... Uh, we need to take a look. It's basically what we say to our customers where we kind of one stop shop for your mapping technology. So, whatever you need for mapping, we'll be able to get you there.
0: Okay. And when customers first discover you, what is it that they first really
1: get excited about? Like, is there a specific. They get excited about that they don't need to fly a lot. Uh, well, basically, the biggest selling point is that instead of doing two or three flights or two and three front by the same object, to capture data with different sensors. We put all the sensors in a single bundle and then you can fly once. Uh, if you know, helicopters tend to be quite expensive, ranging thousands per hour. So what happens then is you start flying 50% less and you can see the payback on your project inside a single year, sometimes inside eight months with switching to our tech. And that, of course, gets them excited. Then obviously we realize that nothing works and we're a startup and uh, all of that was uh, not exactly how they imagined because we tend to, they tend to get their hopes up way too high. But in the end, we still calculate that we got like not 50, but 35 or 40% of tech uh, savings. And uh, normally, then they return to us a more business. So we fall in love with our promise when we realize maybe it's not so simple. But then once it starts working, it actually becomes so simple and then we buy more. Okay. Well, let's take Spain for an example,
0: like the projects that you have in Spain, what's the percentage of the project that's being done with the drone versus a helicopter? Are they just dependent on the the terrain?
1: It would be around, for energy monitoring in Spain, it would be around 95 or maybe 98% of helicopters and around 1 or 2% of drones. And that would actually be the story in most places. There are very innovative places like Estonia, where we do most of them drink okay. with drones. But there are also very, very old-fashioned places like Germany, where most of things are done by helicopters, and usually double-engine helicopters for that. So uh, it just depends. For us, it actually doesn't matter that much. And in, like in U.S. or Brazil, we like driving, so we make the same sensor packages where we can drive less. Uh, for in Spain we fly. So in Spain we fly helicopters, but in Chile we fly airplanes. For instance, so we make systems for both. Okay, and yeah, and
0: are you able? Are, are you yourself able to fly a helicopter? I'm just curious.
1: No, I, I've I've pulled the yoke for a little bit, uh, but uh, no, I cannot. But my co-founder, he's a uh, he's learning to be a private pilot. Uh, because he got so interested in aviation when we started working on this that we, he actually decided to get a license. But I, I've been in helicopter for maybe ten hours or fifteen. I, I like to join in my crews once in a while and actually understand what's going on on the client. What kind, because uh, you can never get a full picture of how a product works without actually sitting in a helicopter and uh, and listening to operators swear like what is this. Freaking interface! Why is this button here and so on? If you don't hear that, <laughs> you're not gonna make it better. Like all products right. suck in some some aspects, and you have to be there on the ground to actually understand where you suck and how do you make it better. So you suck less, because it keeps you be very true. Yeah, that's the key to success. The key to success is not being perfect. The key to success is sucking less than industry standard, and that's it. Because most of things <laughs> we don't work. <laughs>
0: No, no, very, very true. I tell people like, "Hey, listen, I, I, I'm a mediocre podcast host, right? I know that. I acknowledge that. How can I get better?" <laughs> and then exactly. people, they give me their honest feedback on that. <laughs> okay, having exactly. been the CEO of two, having been the CEO of two companies, what's the most valuable lesson that you've learned so far, Montas?
1: Uh get that's friends. CEO. Uh, the most important lesson is to have friends. It's to have people who are not only working for you, but also with you. If you don't have that, if you have a very good chain of command, if you have a very good management team and so on, it gets insanely lonely and very, very frustrating. Because what, what happens is you become that middle ground between the shareholders pushing for returns and the team pushing for maybe innovation, maybe excitement, maybe better conditions and so on. And you get alone there. Uh, that's the biggest difference between my first venture and my second venture is I am actually now a co-founder and our team owns a significant percent of shares as well. So that when things go south and they always do, sometimes you have, uh, you have a team. You can say, look, guys, let's not pay ourselves salary for one month so we can finish that project and then get maybe more money later on. And and when people are together, they're actually together. So that's the most important thing. If you're a CEO. do not only have subordinates, have a team and have actual friends who will hold your back and who will tell you to go F yourself if you're doing something stupid. Uh, Because (laughs) uh, it's way too easy for people to say, oh, he's a CEO, it's his responsibility. But when you actually have friends and they care about you, they say, well, Mantis, you're doing a stupid thing. I know it's your responsibility. We know it's your call, but it's stupid and it's not going to work. And it Kind of makes you look second time chickens. Okay, okay.
0: Uh, What's the favorite thing about what you do about being the CEO? It sounds like maybe this is this is it. I mean, having the friends on, you know, on the same team,
1: uh, being there for each other, but is there something else? Maybe not being a CEO, but for this company, the most exciting thing is actually being at the forefront of innovation sometimes. We had cases where huge international companies from which we buy products call us up and say, look, you're using our board and you mentioned this statistic. How did you get our hardware to perform that well? Uh, how are you solving this problem? Because we have more customers of the same problem and we don't know how to solve it. Uh, so being at the <laughs> moment when like uh, you're speaking to guys like LiDAR manufacturers, GPS, GNS manufacturers who, own, who are in billions in revenue, and they call you and they you, ask you for advice. Well, that's really something that then you realize that, yeah, we come from a small place called Lithuania, and now we're here, let's say, in some fancy conference in Barcelona, and people are asking us how we sold this thing. And we solved it in a shitty garage, maybe not so nice looking, but we really wanted to solve a problem and we did. So, and then seeing the world acknowledge that is really something I adore. Uh, Being a CEO, I see that as just as a title, doesn't matter uh, because I'm an administrator and salesman. My co-founder, he's a tech tech guy and he makes things. Uh, We have also business developer, we have marketers and so on. To be fair, anybody asks me, like, do you want to be a CEO or would you prefer to stick to maybe business development? I would probably stick to business development because there's so much admin and things you don't really want to take care of or that it's not something uh, I like to do, but it's something I actually do good. So that's why in my team, I'm currently in this position. But the position itself is, well, it's just a title. You could put anything on your CV. No one's ever going to check anyway. Uh, so... And it's probably what you do actually in the company and how the company operates is what brings me pleasure. Okay. Are you going to be going to, I think it's
0: called drone week in Amsterdam that they, 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 no. they have a conference that they have every year. No,
1: not for 2020. No, I don't go. The thing is I would go to that kind of place to buy things and I don't need to buy things. Now uh, we go to places like international liner mapping forum or, uh, uh, to sell things. And uh, that's where we actually meet the clients of ours. Uh, since we don't make drones and we don't care what our clients fly, uh, that's not kind of a place to go. But I didn't go to drone expos or helicopter expos sometimes because my, some of my clients go there. So it's usually a good place to meet. But this particular one, no, that's not something I'd, I'd go for. And actually... Okay, yeah, post-COVID, I've been to a few conferences and they're underwhelming, to say the least. There are so, so much less people and so much less things happening, but it's actually not so working. Go ahead, sorry.
0: Yeah. No, I haven't been to an in-person uh, conference since COVID kicked off, but I, I imagine, yeah, they're just they're just really underwhelming uh, compared to pre-COVID days. Last question for you, Montas. Um, can you share your top one or two book recommendations uh, when it just comes to not just business, but maybe just life in general, for the audience.
1: Well, one thing I don't read business books. I uh, read the journals and I like Harvard Business Review or things because I find them to be much more up to date. Uh, but for books, uh, I really, really like The Godfather. I find it way better than a book than um, a movie, and uh, I also really enjoy science fiction or fantasy so I would say Lord of the Rings would probably be here and I read when I read I don't read that much to be fair uh, I don't know why but it just never stick to me as much I do play more computer games which have more story but I don't really read that much but for books I would say maybe Dior would also be a good recommendation so I would recommend sometimes reading fantasy because it kind of gets you away from uh, the rules of the world and it gets you into a more interesting place and that kind of kicks your mind game. Yeah. All right. All right. Montes, thank you so much for being on the
0: show. For everybody tuning in, I will uh, chat with you next week. This is Eric from Innovators Can Laugh. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you. Bye